The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, what's going on? Too much. Too and much. Not enough. Too much well, and not enough. <laughs> well, well, explain that. What's that? What's that mean, actually? I'm just working so hard on so many things, but you know, it's just nothing is nothing. Nothing is happening yet. <laughs> <laughs> Now you were yesterday in Hollywood. What you were working on a documentary? What's that? Uh, it's uh, a documentary about that guy that I that I knew from years ago, who um, I recently found out lived at the Spawn Ranch and had a close relationship with Manson and um, a lot of the family. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. It's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. Now you've got what two documentaries going? Yeah. You've got two, a couple of things set up elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You got it going on. No, I do, and it's great that I'm that I'm busy. It's just you know, I'm everything just takes so long, and then yeah. you work so hard, and then it's like one project is just on the shelf, you know. And that was that that was the one show that I thought this one really is. This is the one that's gonna that's gonna go. And uh, everything is like timing in this business, you know. It's like, oh, now they're not buying this kind of stuff. So you know, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a fun cooking prank, uh, celebrity driven show. And from what we hear from a particular production company that yeah. we're working with, um, yeah, they're not really buying stuff like that now. You know, they're looking, f- you know, they're looking over here. And it's like, oh my god, because you've you got know, a even- lot of cooking. I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times. You worked on. Top, Top chef, chef, right? Yeah. Which to me is like a super, that's like the super classy gold standard of cooking shows. I think so. Yeah. 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 So I worked on that and I worked on Top Chef Masters and I worked on, you know, the best leftovers ever. And, you know, so I definitely do have a cooking show background. Um, so, you know, that was something that uh, kind of inspired, you know, creating a show like we did. Um, but then there's the comedy angle too. You yeah. know, I created it with a, with a comic friend of mine. Um, but it's like, it, it's either you're, you're too early for something or you're too late for something. Yeah. Because it there is was all a period, timing, yeah. you know, I mean, there was a period where, you know, they were doing a ton of prank shows, you know? Well, here's the thing. I, it's interesting that you, you're involved in cooking shows because my understanding is you don't cook. <laughs> Um, I cook occasionally. Do you cook occasionally? Like, do you have a I dish? Do. What's your, what's the Sue Kalinsky signature dish? Well, uh, recently, um, I bought this great cookbook. It's called Jerusalem. It's, uh, this, uh, Israeli chef. And, um, so it's, a unbelievable turkey burger. Like they're like sliders, you know, mm. you don't make like a giant burger. And, um, 
it's just the ingredients, really. It's all about the ingredients. It's sumac and sauces and, you know, certain herbs you put in. It's a very, very easy thing to make, but it is absolutely delicious. So um, that's like my new go-to. That's your new go-to. Yes. Turkey slider burgers with sumac. What is sumac? It's it's like a Mediterranean. It's 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 a Mediterranean herb. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So I, I came up with a couple of things today. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you are you're Jewish. You're a. Would you call yourself a secular Jew? Mm, what does that mean? Means you don't necessarily go to temple all the time. Um, I, I never go to temple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes. Sometimes during the high holidays, you know, um, I may go to temple, but for the most part, I do not go to temple. So I consider myself to be a secular Catholic. Like I grew up Catholic. Right. I, my family, Catholic. I remember when I went away to Bowling Green State University, my mom and dad asked me, well, where are you going to go to church? And I'm, I said, you know, I guess you never picked up on this, but I'm never going to church again. <laughs> I <laughs> right. went every Sunday, no matter what. So the hottest souvenir in Rome is something called uh, Calendar Romano, Calendario Romano. It's uh, been around for two decades. It's unbelievably popular. It is a calendar with sexy priests. <laughs> no, no. Do you see? Do you see anything wrong with that? I see everything wrong with that. Yeah, I'm looking oh. at them. They're very handsome priests. Oh. And they're wearing shock. cassocks and they're carrying crucifixes and all this stuff. Oh but my it's, god, that's so it's wrong. very weird. It's and they and they and they wonder why that people have an issue with, you know, the Catholic Church with pedophilia and everything. It's like ridiculous. So no I, I mean, interest in the sexy priest calendar? No. Well, what are you going to do with the priest? He's not sleeping with me. Correct. Correct. Well, I guess it's just eye, priest eye candy, I suppose, is what that is. So I'll tell you a story. So my, now, my is this, priest. Is, are they doing this? Are they doing this because they're trying to make money for the church? I mean, is this yes. like. Yeah. This is, and this is like a very hot souvenir. People go to Rome and they buy one of these uh, Calendario Romanos whatever that thing was that I said a, a minute ago. Uh, and uh, that's their souvenir. They put it up on their refrigerator or wherever. Uh, by the way, when was the last time you even had a calendar? Someone actually just gave me a calendar. Did they? <laughs> yes, I'm like, yeah. it's on my phone. I don't really need a calendar anymore. But right. I'll tell you a couple of uh, Catholic growing up stories. But, but before you do that, when yeah. you say that it's a calendar, I mean, are they like robed? Or yeah, they're did, robed. Are they showing skin? No, no. Uh, one is actually showing skin. One is like, showing like, skin. Like what? Like they're showing. Like, he's got he a chain around his neck, um, and he seems to be very well built. I mean, is it a chain? Is it like with a giant cross? I no, mean, it, it's like <laughs> it's like a big chain, a like big a wrapper, like a wrapper chain. Yeah, it's kind of like or, or, that. Or an athlete, you know? Chain? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Now, are they posing like they're sexy? They are. They're posing oh, like I have they're to sexy. See this. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll send you the story. It's, but they're very, they're, I mean, there are very attractive guys who wind up in the priesthood, apparently. And all 12 of them are in this calendar. Wow. 
So I had two priests that I remember well. We used to go to CCD, which is, so CCD was like, uh, we didn't go to a, uh, Catholic school. So we had CCD where you'd go down to the church basement and the priest would instruct you and give you additional knowledge beyond the mass, right? Something sounds really wrong about <laughs> we go down to the basement, <laughs> bunch of boys <laughs> with a priest. Yeah. So Father Wilhelm, who, so my brother and I used to go to this place uh, with my dad called Sean's Backdoor and we played Pong. These were the days of Pong. That's a, mm-hmm. as advanced as video games were. And Father Wilhelm was always drunk at the bar. And like, I mean, every time it was really close to the parish and he was always drunk in the bar. So one time at CCD, they have this thing called transmutation. Okay. Have you ever heard of this term? I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. Okay. So the idea is that when you get the wafer and when you get the wine, okay, um, you are supposed to believe that the mass actually made them 100% the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And one time I challenged Father Wilhelm. I said, Father Wilhelm, on this transmutation thing, I was probably seventh <laughs> on grade. On the transmutation thing. <laughs> on the transmutation thing. So if after mass, after you said the, the Eucharist, if we took that to a lab, <laughs> it would still be a, a little piece of bread wafer and a glass of wine. And he was so upset that I challenged him on transmutation. But that is what the Catholic Church believes. And I still, you know, it's one of the issues I have with the Catholic Church is transmutation is ridiculous. Uh, The other uh, guy we had was Father Joe. Father Joe could not say his R's. I hope he's not listening. Uh, Father Joe could not say his R's. So uh, he would say this. Through him, with him, in him, in the glory of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours forevermore. (laughs) It's kind of like Tom Brokaw. He was. He was a little bit like Tom Brokaw. Tom Brokaw. Bernie Klinghoffer. That is. That's the Brokaw. So those are the two priests that I remember growing up with. But once I got to Bowling Green, never never went to Mass again. Maybe occasion. Uh, uh, no, for funerals. I'll go to Mass for a funeral. That's about it. Yeah, we, we never really... Uh... We were kind of like, uh, faux Jews in a way, you know, like we never really went to temple, um, unless it was a holiday. Um, we had Passover. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll still have Passover. I mean, I won't make Passover at my house, but, uh, um, I'll go to a Passover. I'll go to a Seder, you know? Yeah. So there are certain, certain, like, like we said, the high holy days. I fast every Yom Kippur. Oh, so you, you do that. I'll do that. Um, and you go to a Seder. And I'll go to a Seder, but for the most part, um, no. But that's I, for networking, right? You go to the Seder for networking. <laughs> well, yeah, there's probably something to that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's just fun. I mean, I I, I, I like the ceremony of it. Um, it's fun, but I, um, I, I've never, ever uh, been religious. And my parents really weren't either, you know, although they grew up very religious. So my dad would, I mean, we had no choice. We had, we all pretended we were sick on Sunday mornings, hoping that we would not have to go to mass. And we always did. And my dad, they had this thing called the cry room. So in the cry room, which was sort of apart from the church itself, my, 
uh, dad and I, we had nobody who cried, right? My brothers were grown up, but my dad would sit in the cry room, uh, which was sort of away from the mass itself. And he would uh, cut his fingernails. He would clip his fingernails during mass. What's the cry room? What's that about? So there's a cry room. Like if you've got a little kid, you're not supposed to go to the main church. You go to the cry room. This was this was the thing. So if the baby cries out, that it's not disturbing Father Wilhelm while he's talking about transmutation, or uh, Father Joe while he can't say his ours. So that's what that's what the cry room was. Uh, but my dad would literally not pay attention and like clip his fingernails. <laughs> so I don't know if we were getting the full on Catholic <laughs> experience uh, in you know, the cry room. I I was very. Um turned off by religion as a kid because my parents, because of the way they grew up, it was always very important that everyone in our family, um, like dated someone Jewish. Right. And, and, um, and I never dated Jewish guys ever. Never. Well, Kenny, you know, later on in my life was Jewish, but, um, but, you know, growing up like junior high school and high school, college, um, I'm, I'm married to someone that's not Jewish, but I, I hated that they had put this um, this kind of rule that, like, if you didn't go out with a Jewish guy, um, or if my brothers didn't go out with a Jewish girl, then you know that was a terrible thing. Like they weren't good people, and you know it, it was. And and all my Catholic friends, their parents could give a shit. You know they see you know, my they, Catholic. My family did expect <clears throat> me especially my grandparents to marry a Catholic girl. Boy, they didn't see what was coming at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and the thing that, that is so ironic about it is that the only Jewish guy that I ever had a serious relationship with hurt me more than any guy that really? I had ever been with. Um, but I remember, I remember my father, God, it was so funny. He, uh, we were at a, 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 a friend's, you know, my parents' friends, we were at a barbecue, you know, and my father, like one by one, took all the kids like in the front of the house and like, you know, talked to us about like drugs. And, you know, I was in, I think I was in sixth grade. And he was like, you do drugs? And I said, no, which I, I, I had already smoked pot. You yeah. had already smoked pot? Yes. Um, and, um, and he's like, you know, uh, and I don't want you with, you know, with any, any boys that aren't Jewish. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like 11. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, seriously. And I'll never forget my sister who always cried. She was such a crybaby her entire life. Yeah. Um, I see, remember her walking into the back where the barbecue was like, like hysterically crying. I don't know what he said to her, but she was dating some like greaser guy who was in that fraternity. So I remember his name was Larry Buffalino. And my father was like, <laughs> that's clearly Buffalino? not a Jewish name. What kind of name is Buffalino? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Buffalino. That's such he was a in great some. Name. He was in this fraternity called the Apollos. You know, he was kind of a a bad guy. You know, <laughs> I remember him coming over to the house, and I thought my father was going to have a heart attack. You know, but you know that's the way they grew up. You know, they grew up in a time where if you married someone out of the religion, you would be banned from the family, and they would hold a fake funeral for you 
Like you didn't exist. No, no, no. They'd hold a yeah. fake funeral. It was for a you? fake. Fu- it was a fake. I, I, you know, I actually talked to my my godmother about it because my parents at that point had passed away, and I was doing a documentary about my my godmother, and she was telling me all these stories about growing up and what it was like, and you know, she had been friends with my mom since they were teenagers, so she said it was just unacceptable. You could not marry outside the religion. You were like excommunicated and they would hold, they would hold a fake funeral. Um, like you didn't exist. So your sister, had she proceeded with Larry Buffalino would have had a fake funeral. Well, I don't think my parents would have done that, but, but their parents, like my parents, my grandparents in that generation, they were so strict. My, my mother, no, it's my, my father had a cousin who came to stay with us, who was coming to stay with us. And we weren't kosher, but you know, that, that was like the furthest thing in my house. But this person was kosher. And I remember my mother like cleaning out the refrigerator because, you know, in a kosher house, you have two refrigerators because right. you don't, you don't have milk and meat together and all of that, you know? Um, and I, and I was looking at my mother. I'm like, Oh my God, you're like really cramming for exams here. I said, what are you going to do? You know, we're not kosher. You know, we're not going to get another refrigerator. <laughs> so she was like, she kind of like separated some stuff on one side of the refrigerator wow. and the other refrigerator to not, you know, upset this person. But yeah, it was crazy. So that's why I had such an aversion to religion because it, it just, it just seemed, it was just, um, it, it, it was, it was it was mean spirited to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? the funeral if you're dating outside the faith is pretty rough. And um, it was just so unaccepting. That's what I hate. It just seemed like it was such a contradiction to me. See, I know? always look at Catholic mass, and I went for I it must have been for a funeral uh, a few years back, and it's a great show. I mean, it's got great costumes. The lighting is really good. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, mass yeah. is like a mass is like a show. So once in a while, it's good. I just don't need that show every single Sunday. Exactly. Like I, I've been to like unbelievable Catholic weddings. I went to a Catholic wedding at the, at this church. Um, it was somewhere in Ventura and it looked like it was the, the, the church was just beautiful. And, um, and the, the priest was hysterical. He had been a, uh, he had been a cop. And he became a priest and he had like just a great sense of humor and his message was really modern. And, um, do you have the long, long guys outside? Is that what I'm hearing? What, what's that? No, I, let me tell you something. My neighborhood has been under construction since the day I moved in. Oh, okay. I mean, it's just like nonstop. <laughs> oh, anyway. So, so the anyway. priest that you're talking about, could he have been in uh, Calendario Romano? No, he was, well, he was older and he wasn't, you know, like a really like, he wasn't a hot priest, but he was so funny and cool. Yeah. And, and, and this, and, and the service was just so enjoyable and, and it was smart. And the messages he was giving, um, my friend who was getting married, it was, um, it was just lovely. Like I just, it wasn't like a dated, you know, your, you know, my, my vision of what, you know, maybe what a, what a, it wasn't like the rote mass that they did. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was something that, you know, he was thinking completely out of the box and, uh, and he was just giving such great, useful 
warm and loving advice to a, a newly married couple. That's nice. Yeah, it was really, really beautiful. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are times I've been to temple and I've, you know, and, and if it's, it really depends on who the rabbi is and yeah. who the priest is, you know, yep. that's really what it's about. It's like yeah. having a great host, you know? Sure, sure. Well, I, we used to go, or I used to go to a church long, I mean, back in like 99, 2000, um, after we finished in New York, I went to a church called Agape. And it was a non-denominational church. And I mean, I went every Sunday and every Wednesday for probably a good year and a half. And I got a lot out of that. So I don't, I, this, this conversation is probably going to piss off anybody who's deeply religious. Um, but religion has its place, has its place. And I, I've gotten a lot. I got a lot out of Agape and, and the Catholic church, uh, they put on a show. They put on yeah. a show. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's jump to our guest. You want to? Mm-hmm. As an actor, our guest today starred alongside Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway in last year's limited series, We Crashed, for Apple+. Plus. Now he's making his directorial debut with the new film, 80 for Brady, coming out in theaters on February the 3rd. Kyle Marvin joins us. Kyle, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, watch 80 for Brady. It is, and I don't use this word very often, it is a delight. Uh, that's the word that I, I, I think, uh, describes it. Congratulations on the film. It's really, really fun. Thank you. Yeah. We had, a, we had a good time making it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. So you work with in this movie, Rita Moreno, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Sally Field, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, yeah. this is like a legendary cast. That's like five Oscars, two Tonys and seven Super Bowls, uh, in the, in the cast there. How did this happen for you? How did you wind up? being the guy that directed this film uh just by the way it always works in hollywood by absolute shit luck um <laughs> i uh you know we we had a we had a um a really successful indie film that uh, i had produced and written and acted in and uh, we were sort of on everyone's radar in terms of people that had made a good film uh and this project sort of kept flying across our desk um, at, at different iterations. And finally, um, you know, Jane and Lily were attached and obviously Tom had been producing it from the beginning and, um, and I got an opportunity to direct it. And, you know, I read a book once where he was like, you never say no to your first offer to direct a movie. So that was the basis of it. But the reality was, is it had sort of aside from actors who I really wanted to work with, it had the sort of core of a tone of comedy that I thought was really cool with actors who did that comedy better than anyone else. Um, and there was sort of a way to do the movie more patiently, I think, than modern comedies feel obligated to, where you're, you feel obligated to make a joke every five seconds. Otherwise, people are going to go back to you know their phones and doing laundry and whatever people do when they watch movies on laptops. Um, and so that opportunity, I think, was like, great, a chance to do this type of comedy with women who do this type of comedy better than anyone else. Uh, and that was really, I mean, that was really the, the appeal of the project. So you have uh, four veteran um, actors and then you have veteran athletes. Is, is your approach differently as a director with these two groups? How, how, do, how do you manage that? Yeah, absolutely different. Um, the, with the women, with the women, you know, the, the great thing about working with them, aside from the fact that their performance is incredibly, 
good is the fact that they are aware of what makes them successful and what they need in order to give their best performance. And so, and they're very honest and upfront about it. There's sort of like no ego to any of them. It's like the, you have the most frank conversations uh, because they just know what they need and what they want and what, what makes them succeed. And so we had those conversations early on. And then my job was really to, um, to try and like foster the tone of the film and keep the, you know, the, the ship moving forward and keep everyone sort of oriented, but to give those women what they need in order to relax and give their best performance. And then with the athletes, you know, they had no idea what they were doing. And so <laughs> rightfully so. And so for them, it was really about getting them comfortable, just comfortable, you know, comfortable on set, comfortable, you know, doing this thing. The good thing is that they're all used to stress. So that's taken off the, the, table and they're all goofballs i mean gronk and edelman and amandola are all absolute goofballs and tom is too i mean they, they like to have fun and they like joking around and and so that and same with guy fieri and all these other sort of people who aren't actors who are in the movie um it was really just about fostering that sense of play and having fun and then just letting them segue straight into being on camera with that same energy. So when you're on the set for the first day and you're working with, again, these are, these are legends. Do you, can you really tell them to do anything a certain way? I mean, they, they must be, well, they no, don't need I, a, no, I think, I think you would think that, but the reality is completely the opposite. I mean, I think that they, they all understand the dynamics of set. And when you're acting, you're sort of in it and you're trying things and you're sort of experimenting with stuff. And, and really the, the strategy I had was they're all so good at being in character and running long takes and being organic that the alchemy of the thing was really asking one of them to do something different and not sort of letting everyone else in on the secret and then watching them organically react to the change of pace or the change of tone or someone delivering something angry or maybe, and, and they would all respond naturally. So part of my, part of the, the sort of play I had as a, as the director was to, to sort of give everyone something that might net something greater, but really it was relying on them performing, you know, being such great consummate performers. So were they surprising each other with things? hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think there was a lot of that sort of banter. And the truth was at the beginning you know, th there's styles of performing and one of them is to do this sort of like stilted, stilted is the wrong word. There is a, there is an aesthetic art to, I say a line, you say a line, I say a line, you know, and, and part of what we talked about early on was everyone needs to step on each other the way friends do. Because when you're sitting around with a glass of wine with your friends, everyone's just saying shit, the conversation goes sideways, you know what I mean? Or someone will make some comment that you know you knew pissed them off 40 years ago and you're going to keep saying it every day until the day you die because you just love the way it causes a you know a ripple in the friendship and so that was sort of the dynamic we had so there was this kind of like wild reckless abandon where they would just be like great lily just cut her off whenever you want to and they have a natural friendship and they have a cadence um and it was really about keeping them in character so like not their actual friendship and not their actual digs, but like a natural version of that in their sort of characters or their performance. 
Yeah, well, you know, Lily and um, and Jane, obviously, you know, um, they worked together, you know, for all these years. But were the other? Did the other? Did uh, Rita and um, and Sally had had they worked together? All of them at 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 some point. Yeah, we had these conversations, and everyone has worked with everyone else at some point. You know, Rita was in. Rita did nine to five, the TV show, and yeah. You know, so everyone had like these. Everyone had crises and crosses. Um, but the, you know, the, the real core, the, the most core friendship is obviously Jane and Lily. Um, and, but the, the reality was, is they have so much in common. They have so much shared experience. They have so much like, oh, you remember at the Academy Awards in, you know, 1979 and we were all sitting together, you know, like th- there are those conversations that they have with each other. So the shorthand was really quick. And they sort of gelled as a friend group. And even on set, they would sort of just sit. They wouldn't go back to their trailers. They would just sit in chairs right to the left of camera and just sort of hang and chat and talk about stuff. And then it'd be like, all right, ladies, let's go. And they would, you know, come on and they would do it. And they would just go right back into their sort of group. And so that that organic friendship that sort of started on set and my job as a director was partially just to keep fostering that. And allowing that to sort of simmer and steep and then bring that over into their performances as best I could. Which it kind of mirrored the, you know, the athletes too, because they all worked, you know, they all played on the same team together for so many years. So they had that built in, um, you know, relationship. Yeah, it was Um, like one of the most surreal experiences. I I was like in my trailer doing something with my AD and then I opened the door and there was Kronk, Edelman, Amendola, Brady in jerseys like in their full, you know, outfits with their makeup on throwing a football and they had put AstroTurf in between our, our trailers just as like a, a fun gesture because we had it left over. Uh, and so it was like this, it was so surreal to walk out and just have them on there joking around and like, you know, shoving each other. It was just such a weird, um, it was such a weird experience. So I've got a chance because uh, I worked for Fox and then ESPN. I got a chance to cover five Super Bowls. And then I've been as a fan to three of the last five because I'm wearing my Rams hat. I was uh, there when they lost to Atlanta in 2018. And I was there last year when they beat Cincinnati at SoFi Stadium. Uh, Have you ever been to a Super Bowl? I haven't. I haven't been to a Super Bowl. uh, And I'm, uh, you know. It's a dream. It's one I wish I could go to. I've been to a bunch of games. I went to I went to some games at SoFi too, which is an incredible stadium and such an experience. And and we went ahead of the ahead of shooting too with some of our crew just to just to sort of give them a sense of like the say, the scale and scope. And you know, it's it's a really singular thing. It's a moment that we really care about in the movie. Is that moment when you walk into a stadium. Because I, if you've walked into a stadium a million times, it's, it doesn't change the fact that like you walk into one of those big stadiums at a big game, um, and it's sort of this overwhelming experience. I mean, it's a, it's a really sort of incredible uh, sensation to, to, to have that experience. So we tried to replicate that as... So was that shot at a game when, the, when they walk in? Was that shot at an actual game? Yeah, so uh, the, we worked with the NFL, which was incredible, um, and allowed us to get a ton of footage from the actual game, 2017 game itself, the Super Bowl 51 game. So all of our departments had sort of studied and looked at footage. Um, and then we, uh, we had a really good visual effects department that allowed us to sort of integrate our 
practical sets organically with the actual footage from that game. So it's it's a bit of movie trickery um, that we we tried to just replicate as best we can um, the actual scenario so that you can't really feel, well, you know, we hope you can't feel the difference between the actual footage from the game and, you know. No, I would have thought you were actually at the game, yeah. Not at all, not at all. And, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a huge sports fan and I remember that game so vividly. <laughs> so watching the movie, uh, it was so much fun because I was reliving you know, those moments where it was like, I just could not believe that this was happening. And, you know, I, I grew up a, a New York Giants fan, so I um, I am not uh, a Patriots fan. Yes, okay. And I have um, disliked Brady as a player for many, many years. <laughs> respect him. Respect yeah. him. He is the GOAT. Yeah. But, um, yeah, hate his guts. Hate his guts. Always want him <laughs> to lose. Um, and uh, so when when I was watching it, it was like, oh, my God, because that was that game where you just could not believe that Atlanta let that game slip through their fingers. Yeah, I mean, it was it's incredible because they also played an incredible. It's not that they didn't play an incredible game. I mean, they have if you look at the if you look at the if you watch the game or even the highlights, you're like, oh, my gosh, some of these the plays in there were incredible. And the catches were incredible. Julio Jones was on fire. Um, and so, and so, it, you know, we tried to not make it as much about, it, it's funny because there are people who watch, when you watch the film with people, there are people who know what happened in this game, like, you know, like us who were there and watched it and had the whole experience. And there's people who have no idea what football is, who are sitting in that, that theater. And strangely, everyone gets caught up in it. It's like one of those things, like when you, when you, when you experience a game in real time, you know what the outcome is. You, you know that right. Brady beats this one, and yet you're still like nervous when people are dropping catches, you know, or when they're down. And it's just, it's such a funny um, thing that happens in movies. You know, you just sort of, your feet get put on a path and you sort of live it. And it's one of the joys, I think, of the film is you, it, like, you know what's going to happen. And yet you're still sort of like at the edge of your seat excited or you know nervous or whatever for where the game's going yeah boy i hated that game i remember exactly where i was it was at a <laughs> massive super bowl party uh people were rooting i mean there was such glee when tom brady was down 28 to 3 there was such yeah. i mean 28 to 3 the magic numbers um and in fact this particular party there was a tom brady pinata <laughs> afterwards we were gonna. It was filled with candy. We were, gonna, we were gonna get the candy after the game, and it was so depressing to see that game <laughs> slip away. <laughs> Do you remember where you were for the game itself? Yeah, I was at. I was at a party too. My party was more neutral. There was. It was more split at a friend's house, and there was a point where we all just stopped watching it. We were. They were like cooking food, and we just stopped. Everyone just stopped watching the game at a certain point, and we were like drinking and eating and hanging out outside. And then someone was like, Hey guys, look. And we, everyone sort of just sort of slowly sauntered back in. And then eventually it was, you know, we all watched the, that last quarter and it was incredible, but it was that same thing where everyone was just sort of like, all right, Super Bowl's over. That was, you know, that was fun. You know, and we just sort of stopped and Lady then, Gaga was cool and it's all over. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, she grabbed a football and jumped off the uh, a diamond football and jumped off the stage. And we're like, we did it. We saw the Super Bowl. It's over. Um, uh, but it was crazy. I, I had no horse in that race. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, My horse in yeah. every race is the one that's running against the Patriots. 
No, I guess my horse. <laughs> you, and, you and most of uh, you and most of America, especially at that time, it's so funny. They were so dominant. It was just like even people who liked the Patriots were like, "Well, I guess I gotta hate them this year because you know what I mean." So you gotta root against someone. Um, but which, but I think that's one of the great things about sport. We were talking about this the other day. Like, you don't have to be a Patriots fan to like this movie. No. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not about the Patriots and it's not about even Tom Brady, really. It's about going to football games and what that means to people. And that was really the kernel of the journey that even Tom Brady, when he, when we talked about when he first came on, he was like, I'm not interested about, he's not, he's not like grooming the story to be like, does it make me look good? His whole thing was like, oh, there are these women who love football more than anything else. And it brings them together. And those four people, are one of the four people in the 80 to 100,000 people at that Super Bowl, all who have incredible stories to tell about why they're there, you know what I mean? And what this means to them. And that, I think, is really what the movie's about. It's not, a, it's not really like a rah-rah Patriots movie. It's like, hey, you know, it's about friendship and it's about what football means to people and it's about the power that sports has to bring us together, even though we're disparate people with disparate ideas of what we want um and the truth is is like even losing brings you together in a weird way you know what i mean like lose or win you're either going to feel like shit together or you're going to feel great together but you're together in that feeling with other people and i think that's that's really the magic of um of football yeah so the movie the movie's based on um actual for women yep so um did you ever get to uh, talk to or meet these women? I got, I, I got, I, unfortunately not because it was COVID. It was like, we were right in COVID when this thing started um, and they were on the East coast in Boston. And so we sort of, we got all the information and we saw the videos of them and um, we had all like, we had all of the sort of info and the girls who wrote the women who wrote the film had more interactions in terms of understanding their story and sort of brought it to us more baked um, but ultimately, the film had to depart a little bit from the women's real story. They didn't go to Super Bowl 51 uh, physically, but obviously they watched it and were, uh, were together for that. And so we, you know, the movie takes a departure. It, it's sort of the basis of the story um, and the core of the story is there and their dynamics with each other for sure. And the way they talk to each other, it's hilarious to watch them. Like to watch the videos of them bantering about stuff, it was really like eye opening in terms of the fun and like, you know, you don't give a, you don't, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, you don't give a fuck when you're that age uh, about anything. And that's beautiful. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's beautiful in friendship. And it's kind of like what I wish I had with my friends. You know what I mean? I wish I had friends who were like, you're being an idiot. Stop. You know what I mean? And at that point, you know, they're just so they're so open and unafraid same with the actors you know our, our actresses are the same way you watch their interviews and i'm like god you guys are way cooler than i could ever be because you just don't care you know what i mean you're going to say what you what you think and what you feel and i think that's you know that's as inspiring as the football in this particular movie i think so i'm going through this a little bit right now my mom's boyfriend is a huge 49ers fan and I okay. hate the 49ers as a Rams fan. I hate the 49ers. Yeah. And so we're watching the game on Sunday and I'm already thinking, uh, you know, I've got my lucky hoodie. I've got yep. my, I'm going to sit a certain way, like all the stuff that they did in the movie, but I hate the 49ers. Um, the one thing I love about sports more than anything else. And you sort of touched on it is that it, 
we live in such a uh, a polarized world, but like for the period of 60 football minutes, everybody's on the same side. 100%. And, and you know, we don't have these great, going to the movies is like this. Um, we, we just did a, a talk beforehand about church, going to church, going to the movies, going to sports. It puts everybody on the same side and we need more of that uh, to, to sort of heal what's going on, I think, in our culture. A hundred percent. I think there's like in all of those things, there's sort of like a human energy. You know what I mean? Like if you want it, you want to get like philosophical. It's like, there's like a wavelength to that energy. And when we're all cruising on that same wave, like in a group, you know, it, it becomes, you feel it, you feel it when you're at a sports stadium or at a, you know, with a large group of people watching a game and you feel it in a movie theater and you feel it in a church. It's the same thing. It's like you, everyone sort of taps into this herd thing that we all have you know what i mean this like group power and i think it's really fun it's really like liberating and it's really it makes you realize like you know you could be a from a completely different place in america and in a completely different place in your life and a completely different cultural background and we are going to sit side by side and hold each other's hands and spill chicken wings and get drunk <laughs> and scream at a TV screen for that period of time. And, and I think that there's a real magic in that. Yeah. You know, being a sports fan my whole life, um, I, I guess I just don't understand how, how people don't watch sports, you know, <laughs> and how they don't get excited about it. You know, it's like sports and people who don't like dogs. I just, don't get it because i feel i feel like there's some, there's some person who hates sports and doesn't have a dog listening to this right now like fuck you I, i'm sure that and i'm too. saying and you know what and i'm saying fuck you back to them <laughs> i just i mean i just feel like they're missing out on so much yeah, you know probably. and i guess because it's so ingrained in my life you know yeah. um well, you I know because friends of mine will say, you know, let, you know, just a group of girlfriends of mine would like, let's get together, you know, uh, you know, Sunday. I, it was actually, you know, the day of the Super Bowl. And I was like, nah, Super Bowl. And they're like, oh, Kalinsky. And I'm like, <laughs> what can I tell you? I'm not, I'm not missing the game. And if I do go to your house, I'm going to sit in another room and watch the game. <laughs> I'm like, Woody Allen, you know? Yeah. Well, that's so, you know, what's so funny is like, some of it is just, some of it's just, learning you know some people just didn't like you know football can seem inaccessible um because it's just there's a lot going on and there's like a lot of terms being thrown around but and some of it's just about people getting oriented to like oh it's that easy you know what i mean like you just got to go 10 yards you know and you got four chances to do it um you know what i mean like like i think that that's i think when you when you st- when people just start breaking down the barrier to it i think they get into it. It's one of the byproducts of this movie, which is crazy to me is like, we've seen it now in a bunch of test screenings. We've seen it with, you know, people from our crew and some other people. And there are people who are like, I hated football. And now I'm like fully invested. You know what I mean? In football, just because it's like, Oh, I get it now that it's sort of like, it breaks down that barrier to whatever the inaccessibility to it. And as soon as you know it, you're like, yeah, this is super entertaining. So I have to just tell you a quick funny story. I did stand up comedy for a very long time. So I was on the road with a with a another a woman comedian and we were in the condo and there was a football game. It wasn't playoffs or anything, just a regular football game. Her boyfriend called her up 
and he's a big sports fan. And he said, what are you guys doing? She's sitting in a chair knitting, right? <laughs> and I'm watching the game. And he said, what's Sue doing? And she says, oh, she's watching football. And he said, on purpose? <laughs> because he was dating a woman who had no interest in football. And he, and he, and she put me on the phone with him and he said, could you please explain to her? how to love football and tell her what it means and what the rules are so she can enjoy it with me. And so it, but when he said on purpose, I yeah. laughed so loud. So good. I thought the story was going to be then you guys fell in love. <laughs> well, that would be the movie that you would make. That's true. <laughs> so uh, you are also an actor. Um, and you were one of the stars of We Crashed with uh, Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, which was great. So I totally dug that series. Um, but again, I'm going to ask that question, this idea. I mean, Jared Leto, Dallas Buyers Club, Anne Hathaway, Les Miserables, they both won Oscars. Is it intimidating to be on a set with actors who are as accomplished as they are? Yeah, but, but, but it's, you know, it, the same thing goes in a weird way for the other women, which is like when you get to that position, when you're acting at that level, the, the, they're, they're givers in their performance. You know what I mean? They understand that if they are, if you're giving a great performance when you're acting with them, they are giving a better performance and the scene works better. And, and I think that the thing that really surprised me was the kindness that both of them had in terms of, in terms of helping me, you know, helping me to give my best performance. And I, it's, I saw the same thing, uh, you know, with Lily and Tom Brady in their scene together. Like Lily is a, Lily is a giver. She is the queen of supporting other people and, and, you know, giving those little nuggets and punches that allow you to seem funnier and better at your job. And, and you know, he and her, they really engaged. And part of my advice to Tom was like, look Lily Tomlin in her eyes and say your lines. And if you just do that, it's going to hit. You know what I mean? And, and it's what he did. You know, he looked her in the eyes. And, and if you're looking Lily Tomlin in the eyes and she's acting and and she's got her jets on, like it, you know, it's pretty hard not to get emotional and, you know, lean in. So you, are you an actor who directs or a director who acts? I'm neither. I'm a, I'm a writer producer who happens to do the set, those both things. I, I think like I, I came up through producing uh, mostly because I was in independent film and, and uh, nobody cared about what I had to say and the power that I had was to support other people. And so my job, you know, for the first 10 years of my career in film was spent, you know, helping other people execute their vision. And, uh, and I think that's a, that's a good way to start because it gets you into the mindset of uh, working as a team and supporting other people. And, you know, but my passion is, is, you know, writing, my passion is making things in whatever iteration that might be. I love acting because it's a lot of fun and it's very much a crucible and it's very real time and it's very like magical in that moment. But the same is true with writing. You know, it has its own magical crucible. It's a more painful crucible, I think, because you sit <laughs> in it for way longer. So you just blaze and burn yourself up um, more easily. But, but truly, I think I just like making things and I like making things with a particular tone. And I think that, that like the power of humanity and the power of connectedness and the power of um, 
sort of emotional resonance between different people is really interesting to me. And I like exploring it and I like sort of spreading that um, sensation, however, however I can do it, however I'm allowed. Yeah. You know, I always go ahead, Sue. No. So I was going to say, you know, usually when um, an actor, you know, is, is producing and directing and writing and doing all that, sometimes the acting takes a back seat. Um, Are you somebody who, do you feel like acting is something that you always want to be part of your repertoire? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's something to be said about, um, you know, making movies is not an easy nor a fast process. Um, and acting allows you, you know, acting, you can move relatively quickly because a lot of the legwork is done for you. You come in, you do your job and then you leave, you know what I mean? And someone has to then do the post and, you know, continue to sort of craft the film. And so for me, I think it's, it's one, it's a way for me to explore stuff. It's a way for me to sort of like poke around at the edges and see what I like and what's interesting, um, and live it as a, as a human being. Um, and that I think is really fascinating. The real problem is time, you know, like the, the real problem with everybody in their life is time. And so it's really a matter of like, great, you know, we're constantly, we're writing stuff all the time. We're, you know, producing other people's work still because that's the DNA of sort of where we came from and, um, and, you know, directing and, 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 you know, acting fits in there as best it can. Uh, the, the reality too is like, there are a lot of people trying to act, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of really talented actors out there. And, uh, you know, the, the quality projects are very rare, you know? And so, and so it's not the easiest thing. I always, I, all my actor friends, I'm like, I don't know how you guys do this. Like it is, it is a brutal, it is a brutal, uh, slog, you know what I mean? And so I, um, you know, I, I do my best and I try and put my foot forward and I, and I try and, and get the things that I think work for me and that I would work for them. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think I might end up just having to write and make my own things and put me in it until, until I get some momentum just because, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard industry and uh, especially as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, as a director, 80 for Brady, it's really fun. In fact, my my uh, broadcast partner John Ireland says uh, he's taking his mom to see it. She hasn't right. been to the movies in a long time, and it is a perfect. It's a it's a good son mother movie. It's good for it. It's just a great movie for for anybody, and it comes out on a perfect date, right? Because that's the off week between the championship games and the Super Bowl, right? Uh, the only football on will be in movie theaters. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, congratulations on the movie. It's a blast. And thanks a lot for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. And there is uh, Kyle. The movie is is really fun. It is really fun. And uh, it's great to see those actors have the opportunity to star in a movie. And, and I, I think they made the point. Sally Field is in her 70s, not her 80s. <laughs> well, she was like, I'm, I'm 75. I'm not just, in my 80s. I want to let you know. <laughs> But it's great. There are very few opportunities for for women of that age to to star in a movie. So it's cool from that perspective. And if you love football, uh, the thing at the beginning uh, with the one has to be on a ladder, another has to be in the corner reading a book, and the third one's got to spill chips, and they do it before every game. Like, don't you have rituals like that for games? Like, I have to sit a certain place, wear something. 
Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm sitting a certain way and it's going my way, yep. then I, I won't deviate from that or I won't get up, you know, right. like sometimes, cause sometimes I'll pause the game, you yep. know, and it's like, Oh God, I don't know. Should I pause it? Because then if I pause it, what's going to happen, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all these ritualistic and yeah. And I'm very superstitious. So yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Really cool. Yeah. We were talking about this, I think a little bit off the air, um, that, it's weird that the show We Crashed came out at about the same time as The Dropout, which is the Elizabeth Holmes story, which came out about the same time as the one with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt about um, Uber. Uber, and then the one with Julia Garner called Inventing Anna, where she scams everybody. And I'm wondering why all that happened at once. Like, why did all those happen at the same time? And I'm not talking about necessarily the projects, but the actual events. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There was something in the air because then, you know, we were also talking about like the Twinder, the, um, the Tinder it, the, Swindler, uh, Tinder Swindler. And then there was, um, God, I can't remember the name of it, but this was also uh, a documentary based on a, um, this story about a woman who had a couple of kids and she got involved with some she got involved with some guy who completely, you know, uh, ripped her off and, uh, and, and then isolated her from her family. She left her husband. I mean, it was like, it was such a depressing, horrible yeah. story. And, and they're still not, the kids are still not united with wow. their mom. Um, it was like, no matter how much proof they had about yep. this horrible guy, she just was under the ether and she apparently, um, stayed with them and left her family. Yeah. Yeah. So many scams made so much great TV. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were all really good shows. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, hey, uh, listen, I definitely recommend 80 for Brady. Really, really fun. Um, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. Please take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Sue, great seeing you, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast. <laughs> <laughs>